today we are going to look at the topic who cares about race a very pertinent topic for South Africa at the moment you will agree with me <laughs> I I don't know that a day goes by that something doesn't happen on social media what is it with South Africans they can't keep those fingers off those buttons and saying stuff but nonetheless we have we have found ourselves in a nation that is wrestling with its identity and we have to answer this question for ourselves and we have to we have to answer it for the world around us. And people in this nation are looking for answers. They are hurting people, deeply wounded by the past, that are saying, we need resolution for this issue. And there are people facing uncertain futures saying, we don't know if there's a place for us here. And we need to know, do we belong? And God has an answer for all these questions. <laughs> and we're going to look at them today. So we are looking at who cares about race. There's this interesting news item that happened recently that in Israel, they unearthed, an archaeologist unearthed a well-preserved body. He looked like he was of Egyptian origin and he'd been mummified, but he was in the middle of Egypt, I mean, in the middle of Israel. And so they transported this body to the, a museum in Tel Aviv and they did all kinds of tests and everything because they wanted to find out who he was, why he was in Israel, etc. But when the archaeologists handed the body over, they said to the people in the museum, we don't know much about him except that he's Egyptian and he died of a heart attack. And the curator was a little bit amazed because how do you tell that? But anyway, they did the test and they worked out and lo and behold, he did, had died of a heart attack. And he went back to the archaeologist and he said, how on earth did you know? And he said, well, there was one clue. Clutched in his hand in this makeshift grave was a little note. 10,000 shekels on Goliath. <laughs> okay, it's a joke. <laughs> Those of you who are looking at me seriously. No, this didn't really happen. It didn't really happen. But nonetheless, I, I, I was read this and I was thinking about the fact that, you know, sometimes we can back the wrong horse. And sometimes our, our money, our, our bet is in the wrong thing. And when we look at our nation today, we are facing some giants. Would you agree with me? I feel like racism is one of those. And I think it's easy to look at the news and everything going on around us and say, oh my word, this, this terrible attitude of racism is actually going to win in this nation. And we could have 10,000 shekels on racism. But guess what? The story goes that there was a David. And he refused to look at the size of the problem in front of him. He continued to look at the size of his God. And anyone with 10,000 shekels on Goliath died of a heart attack right there and then. And so ultimately what I want to say to you with a very bad joke is that we are going to win this thing. That this nation is going to rise up into her destiny. That God, when he, when he lovingly formed Africa and he, he came to the southern tip of Africa, you know what? He, he had a plan and a destiny for a people that would live here. And he understood that this people would be diverse and interesting. And he decided that this would be a place where he would display to the earth that mankind, diverse and glorious in all his differences, can live together and glorify God. Can paint a picture of a heaven that is so filled with love and grace and glory and honor for one another. That it's a place that anybody would want to live. 
So as I begin this, I want to I want to start tackling probably the crux of this issue. And that is what is grace? I mean, not is what is grace. That's a really good. What is race? What is race? What is race? Are you all with me? <laughs> what is race? <laughs> So we're going to look at what is race now. Biologically, can you will you will you humor me a little bit with a little a bit of a biology lesson? Are you all good with this? It's not going to be complicated, and there will be no test at the end. But biologically, a race is a subdivision of a species, and what it means is that within a a species, a kind of animals, so to speak, a portion of that population becomes isolated. And there's no genetic transfer between that isolated portion of the population and the rest of the population. And so they, they begin to slowly develop unique characteristics that are not found in the rest of the population. This isolation has to happen over a long period of time. And there has to be a certain level of difference in the genetic material between the small group and the larger group for the scientists to call it a race. Now, scientists have done a lot of um, research about the human race. They pretty much have um, mapped all our genes. They, they know what different genes cause certain things. They don't know everything, but they know a lot. And they, and they know what the differences are between different ethnic groups. And after all this research, they've come to some conclusions. All this research was beautifully summarized in an article in Newsweek two years ago written by a reporter called Robert Wald Sussman, and it goes like this. This may shock you. Will you all take a deep breath, hold the hand of the next person next to you, and say, it's going to be okay. He wrote this. Today, the vast majority of those involved in research on human variation would agree that biological races do not exist among humans. All breathe again. We humans are more similar to each other as a group than we are to another, one another within any particular racial or genetic category. What he's saying is that there are more genetic differences possibly between me and Andrew than there than they are between me and Kodani. That biologically, when they examine our genes, they, they probably couldn't tell a difference. Even though humans have the widest distribution, the measure of human genetic diversity falls well below the threshold used to recognize races for other species and is among the lowest value known for large mammalian species. The degree of isolation among human populations that would have been necessary for the formation of biological subspecies or races never occurred during the 2,000 years of modern human development. Everyone breathe again. Turn to the person next to you. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but what I would have said is that, guess what? Guess what? There's no such thing as human race, biologically. That we all one. That you are sitting next to brothers and sisters that may look different, may act different, may come from a different culture. But actually, we're just one group of people with a huge amount of variation. There is only one race, and that is the human race. So is everyone okay? Anybody want to leave? Are you all good? Yeah, it's good news. <laughs> well, it depends what you feel about the person sitting next to you. Do you, want, do you want to be their brother or not? But, you know, here's one thing that I was, I was thinking about. Andrew and I both have brown eyes. I think he's got very beautiful eyes. 
have two children. Our oldest two children both have brown eyes. And you know what? I pretty much resigned myself to the fact that all my children would have brown eyes. And bam, we have a third one. And guess what? He's got blue eyes. Blue, 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 blue eyes. Every time I look at him, I'm like startled, you know? But what if he went off and married a blue-eyed person and they only had blue-eyed children? Imagine my oldest two children standing up and saying, coming to them and saying, oh my word, look at you, you're so different. We just only, just only you, not a brother anymore. And that whole, all your children, ugh, that's something different. You know, guys, I want to say that because he's got blue eyes doesn't mean he's any less a brother. Because he's, he's got different physical characteristics doesn't make him any less a part of the family. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will be held accountable for those kind of relationships. You know, there's, 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 some, there's something else I want, I want to note having, having raised a family is that brothers and sisters fight. Have you noticed that? If you haven't had children, it's coming. And you know, there's, there's something innate in human nature when we're away from God. That means we, we sometimes lose face, lose sight of the, the fact that God's goodness is so overwhelming. His provision is so enormous that he is never, ever, 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 ever restricting his blessing to one kind of people and giving it to another kind. And that there is enough for all of us to be prosperous, happy, blessed, far beyond. You know, you sometimes look at those people on television or wherever you see them in the magazines that are so blessed. Guys, that's nothing. No, seriously. I mean, that's just a tip of the iceberg. What is God's kingdom allows us to all be that and more with enough to spare to go and find another people and bless them like that. And sometimes we lose sight of that fact and we're scrambling for what we believe are limited resources. And gosh, if that person gets it, I don't. And so my word, I've got to do everything to get it from that person. Or if that person has something, I must, I must pull them down so I can have it. And you know, I'm here to tell you, we don't have to do that. There is enough for everyone. I absolutely love this. Oh, no, there's something else I want to, I want to tell you. Is that, that pride and fear drive a non-existent racial divide that threatens to tear apart the fabric of God's design for mankind. Is that when, we, when our lives are governed by the desire to look better than our neighbor, or the, or the fear that we are going to be hard done by what's going on, in someone else's blessed neighborhood, then that fear and pride almost divide between us and we lose the majesty of what God desired for this earth. Martin Luther made a really great statement that I absolutely love. If those of you know Martin, not Martin Luther, sorry, Martin Luther King, um, he was a civil rights activist in the United States in around the 1950s, 
He said this, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. And, you know, this was a man who was coming from probably some of the worst segregation of his time. And yet he said, you know what, I know there's a God. And I understand that he is able to bring about a change. And I am committed to finding that. But I'm also committed to finding it in God's way. He also made an interesting statement that I, I really love. He said, we can, we can look about um, us and we can look at the violence that is happening and we can refuse to partake in the violence that is around us. But he said... But the other thing that I am determined to do is I'm not, a, I'm not prepared to allow that violence to get into my spirit. I'm not, al- I'm not allowing myself to have internal violence. And he says, not only will I refuse to kill my neighbor, but I will refuse to hate him also. Powerful, powerful man. I just, gosh, I, the more I read his stuff, the more I just am so impressed by who he was. <clears throat> I want to look at how we got to this, this problem of having... Racial issues. If there's no such thing as race, how did we get here? How did we get here? And I want, I want to, at this point, just speak very sincerely. You know, I grew up in a, in a culture where I was very privileged. My, my parents were very middle class. They weren't particularly exceedingly wealthy, wealthy but they were very middle class. And I went to very good schools. I had a really great education. I, I grew up absolutely confident that I would get a job. There was, there was, you know, I really, when I was at university, I didn't do much studying because, you know what, white people got jobs. And so I have to be honest, I'd love to do university again because I really didn't do it well the first time. <clears throat> I, I grew up, you know, I, I grew up not really finding people of a different color um, distasteful or anything like that. There was a lot of love and honor. But I grew up I grew up knowing that me and my people were in charge. And no one said it to me, but there was an innate feeling of of superiority in my heart. And you know, I'm I want to stand here and I I want to I want to confess that God had to convict me of that. God had to change me. God had to come and revolutionize me. He had to come and show me the error of my ways. I mean, I was, I was broken by it. And when God came and just began to show me the pride in my heart. And when I met people of different colors and races and ethnicities, we can't say the word race anymore. I don't know if we can or we can't. But nonetheless, people of different ethnicities. And you know what? They were so great. And they had done more than me. And they had worked harder at university. And they were more, they were just nicer people. And, you know, I had to, I had to look at that and I had to say, God, I was wrong. And my, my cultural conditioning, the conditioning of my childhood, I had to leave it behind. If I was going to, if I was going to continue to serve God, I had to leave it behind. But the next thing I want to say is I want to say that Perhaps you were hurt growing up by this, by an attitude 
that people around you had of superiority. And I want to look you straight in the eye and tell you I'm sorry. Really, I am. I'm extremely devastated by the fact that people I loved could cause so much harm to other people that I love. And I, if there's anything I could do to change that, I would do it. And I want you to know that. Really, I do. Every person that has been hurt through apartheid, who's been hurt through racial segregation, just the attitude of racism, I just I want to look you square in the eyes and say I'm really, really, really sorry. You didn't deserve that. You didn't ask for that. No one chooses the color of the skin that they were born with. No one chooses the nation they were born with. No one chooses their gender. No one deserves to be discriminated against in any way because of those things. And from the bottom of my, of my heart, I want to apologize. And I, I hope you can receive that. And I hope that you can, you can look past that. And that you can look past that to see a person who's changed and a person who's determined to live differently. And a person who's determined to right the wrongs of the past. And present before God a people who are loved no matter what they look like. Who are loved no matter where they come from. Who feel worth something no matter where they've been. A people who, who don't look down at, each, at any other person but also don't feel inferior to any other person. And so I hope that we can move forward with a, from a place of <sighs> there have been wrongs done and we have to make it right and we have to choose another way. Amen. But I want to tell you about a person and a nation who grew up under racial conditioning. In other words, they grew up in environments where they... The environment taught them to think of themselves in a certain way and taught them to think of people are different from them in a particular way. This lady's name is Rosa Parks. Have you heard of her? She, she actually began the civil rights movements in the United States on the 1st of December, 1955. In those days, you were not allowed to sit just anywhere on a bus. There was a section for black people and there was a section for white people. And she got on the bus and she said, why? And she refused to comply with the segregation. And she was asked to move and she refused. And she was actually arrested. And this sparked riots and it sparked boycotts of the buses and it sparked the beginning of a movement that would end segregation in the United States. And I just wonder growing up how she grew up. You know, there were one, the one or two options. She perhaps grew up hearing from her parents, don't listen to the, the cultural messages that are being sent to you. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're good. You have what it takes to succeed. There is a future for you. Perhaps they spoke those kind of words to her, or perhaps she gave into the conditioning around her that said that she was less than the people around her. But if that were true, I'm telling you this, she refused to give in to the racial conditioning of her environment, and she said, I'm not going to be less 
I'm not going to be inferior. I'm going to stand up and be counted for who I am. And she did. Luke 4 is a really great passage of Scripture. You wondered when I was going to get there. But Luke 4 is a really incredible passage of Scripture. Jesus goes to the synagogue, and in the synagogue, he, he stands up and he reads a passage of Scripture that declares him to be the Messiah. And he says to everyone, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. And the people are delighted, and they, I don't know if they cheered, but it indicates that they were very, very impressed. And then, I want to read it because I haven't memorized the entire chapter. Close. I'm just about 90% of the way there. But from verse 25, he turns to them and he says this, But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. You're going, oh my gosh, has Carol lost the plot? What is she talking about? In essence, he's been lauded as the Messiah, and he stands up and he says this. He says, listen to me. Look at your history. You feel like you're the chosen people. You're the only ones that God loved. But I'm here to remind you that time and time again, God went looking for people who weren't Jewish and he blessed them too. Guys, I want you to, I want you to see what their response is in verse 28. It says this, when they heard these things, remember they're lauding him as Messiah. They want to crown him. They want to make him king. Now he said this, they say, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. That means very angry, spitting mad. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they would throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Guys, listen. When someone challenges your racial conditioning, where you think you are on the totem pole, it makes you mad. It makes you mad. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to a nation that was deeply, deeply, deeply racist. They believed they were the only ones. They looked down on anyone who wasn't Jewish. At the same time, not only were they deeply racist, but they were deeply, deeply persecuted. They were overrun by the Romans, living subjugated by a foreign nation, told continuously that they were less. So here's the thing that I love about this passage is that Jesus isn't afraid of your past. Jesus is, you know, I don't know. I, I, there are a number of places you could have come from. You can be one of those people 
who grew up superior, who thought they were better, who, who lived on high on the hog, who was blessed in ways that maybe you shouldn't have been. And guess what? Jesus is coming for you too. You can be one of those people who lived a life that was subjugated, desperately hurt by the system. God, Jesus is coming for you too. You can be one of those people who was deeply hurt by the system and your anger has made you one of those people and now wants to hurt other people. I don't, I don't care whether you're angry or the people next to you or not. Jesus has a plan for you. He's not afraid of where you've been. He's not afraid of the sin in your heart. He's not afraid of your wrong perceptions. He has a plan for you and he's come for you. Because he knows something. Is that he can change you. Those same, that same Jewish nation was going to become the church. They were going to walk with Jesus and they were going to watch him heal a centurion servant. A centurion servant. Do you understand that this was the same as Barack Obama finding a ISIS member who has a friend who is ill, and offering to pay for their treatment. Do you understand that the disciples watched Jesus unflinchingly love everyone? And draw people from all kinds of nations together. And one of his disciples had an experience with, with God. We've, we've talked about it recently in the book of Revelation. And he talked about at the end of the age, the culmination of God's entire plan. And in the book of Revelation, we read about at the end of all time, everyone sitting around the throne of Jesus singing this greatest, great song. And that says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on our earth. God has a plan. For every nation, tribe, ethnic group, skin color, culture, to bring us all together in this beautiful symphony of worship to Him. He's that good that He will take the worst of the worst in this nation and the best of the best, and He will combine them and He will create a diverse, beautiful tapestry of all of us that glorifies His name. And we get to be a part of that. That's his ultimate goal. And he won't be thwarted from that. So how are we going to dis dismantle racism in our hearts? Have you ever thought about that? Because, you know, apart from Jesus, to some degree, we all fear what is different from us and feel like we're better than those things that are different from us. So every single one of us, to some degree, are going to have to dismantle a way of thinking in our hearts if we're going to build that kind of community that Revelation talks about. First of all, we're going to have to get healed. Yes! In Isaiah, uh, the, that 
Isaiah 61 verse 1 is that scripture that Jesus quoted in Luke 4 that proclaimed him to be the Messiah. And it talks about the fact that we, that, well, that he is anointed by the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak good news to the poor. He's saying to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak liberty for the captives and an opening of the doors to those who are bound, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What's he saying? He's saying that no matter what you've been through, I can heal you. I can heal you. Martin Luther King again described the effects of racism on a person as creating inner fears, outer resentments, and de degenerating a, a degenerating sense of nobodiness. Have you ever felt that? Don't raise your hand. But I think the greatest thing that God wants to heal in each one of our hearts is our sense of identity. Because at the very core, what racism does, it speaks to you an identity that's not true. And that's the thing you have to fight against. Whether you are on the top or the bottom, you have to fight against that. You have to allow yourself in your very inner place, hear the voice of God telling you who you are. And at first, living out that new identity will be really, really tough. Because it'll feel weird and strange. You know, the, the, I heard of this at one time that, um, Lord, we've all experienced it, that a person of a certain ethnic group stands at a counter and he gets a certain level of service and then a person of another e ethnic group stands at that same counter and gets a different level of service. Have you ever seen that? Or do you live in another country? But at some stage, we're going to have to stand up and say, no, it's not okay because that's not who we are. This is who I am. I belong. I count. I matter. Something in our hearts has got to rise up and say that and believe it and live like that's true. For each and every one of us, this God wants to come in the deepest place and change that. So we're going to get healed. The next thing we're going to do is get free. I love the scripture in Acts 3. It says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I love that because it speaks of two ways of getting free. First of all, repentance, which means to change the way you think. It means to think differently. It means to alter the way you perceive life, to change your paradigms. But then it goes on and says, and turn back. It literally means to go the other direction. It means to live differently, do different actions, speak different words. It's not good enough to just change the way you think. You have to change what you do. If you've wronged someone, you have to make it right. If you've hurt someone, you have to do what you can to get them to a place of healing. If you've stolen, you must give back. So 
someone just stole Kudani's nachi here in the front. Hence, they are laughing because she ate it and can't give it back. But nonetheless, here, here's, the, here's the issue. There has to be a change of heart, a change of mind, and then a change of action. We have to live differently. But, guys, what does it say? It says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It's so great. How many of you want to live that kind of life where peace and joy are your portion, where you feel alive and invigorated all the time? Then this is what you need to do. This is When you do this, that's what comes. It's the natural consequence of living attentive to the Holy Spirit, changing the way they think to comply with Him, and living the kind of love, grace, and blessing that He desires. Pride and fear are prisons you don't need. Leave them behind. Step out of them. The next thing we need to do is embrace kingdom justice, and I really love this. Because it is possible in life to think that justice will heal you. And by justice you mean that the person who hurt me gets hurt to an equal measure. So the person who, who hurt me goes to jail. But guess what? They, they are in jail and guess what? Your heart still doesn't feel okay. So now what? They need more justice. Okay, their family must go to jail. Okay, now them and their family are in jail and your heart still doesn't feel okay. So you need more justice. You need more retribution, more punishment. So what now? They need to be cruelly treated in prison. And then what more and more and more and more? And then eventually the victim becomes the perpetrator. And we've seen this in lands all over the world. I have come of Irish descent. Do you remember what was in Ireland a generation back? The Catholics fighting the Protestants and no one even knew who threw the first stone. They'd been fighting each other so long that it just become an endemic way of life. But the idea of kingdom justice is so good. It's so true. It's so pure. It's so noble. It's so great. Isaiah 58 is probably the quintessential justice chapter. If you want to know about biblical justice, read Isaiah 58. And it talks about how these religious people were going around doing all the right things, fasting, sacrificing, looking pious, wearing the right clothes. And Isaiah looks at them and says, well, God asked Isaiah to say this. No, that's not what justice looks like. And he says this, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness? In other words, to dismantle injustice. And he goes on and he says, says to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and this is the part I really want you to notice and not to hide yourself from your own flesh it doesn't mean that your one leg doesn't must know what your other leg is doing it doesn't mean that what he's saying is that when you share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house. When you see the naked and cover him, you're taking care of your own brother. In essence, he's saying at the very heart of biblical justice is this, is that we are all one. We are all brothers and sisters. And justice is to take care of the family. And not to take care of them from a place of, 
I'm the great knight in shining armor riding in to save you from your terrible thing. It's to look at a man or a woman in their heart and say, I love you and I want you to succeed. I will do what it takes for you to get what you need to succeed. To look past the differences in style, in color, in facial features and say, you belong. We're together in this. We're going to make a difference. Again, Martin Luther King said, we must learn to live together as brothers or to be at, or perish together as fools. Amen. I think he deserves a round of applause for that. <laughs> and the last thing is to make friends from other cultures. A while back, I have this friend who is a pastor at the Rosebank Kids People. Her name is Pastor Gloria. And she's, I just love her to bits. And she's black. <laughs> she, she one day decided that she was going to educate all the white people. She was in a, we were in a connect group together. All the white people in that connect group about the life in Soweto. And so she took us to a Shabin in Soweto where we were going to eat food. I discovered a number of things from this experience. I discovered that she is probably one of the most exciting, adventurous, fun, loving people that I know, and that I wouldn't be without her as a sister for anything. I learned that, and the other thing I learned is that I absolutely hate tribe. Just saying, just saying, just saying. I learned those two things. You, you may disagree with me, but I came to discover something about her and something about me. And I'm so pleased. You know what? I, didn't, I have to say, I didn't even get to eat it. I just looked at it on my plate, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'm so sorry. If you have a way of disguising it for me where I can eat it and not know what it is, maybe I'll get there. Maybe I'll get there. <laughs> they, they're looking at me saying, but you eat prawn, which I don't. Okay. But, you know, I also, I also want to mention this, that my, my intera interactions with people different from me, from different co colors, different cultures, have enriched me enormously. You know, I feel like I'm just a better person because God has enabled me to have friendships with people who are different from me. You know what? I, I, the culture that I come from, you know, we care for our own family, but that's all. And like the aunts and uncles and the great-grandmothers and the whatever, you know, you know the, the, they must spend for themselves. They've got their own families. But, you know, when I interacted with other cultures, I found that they had this, this feeling of taking care of everyone. And you know what I felt like when I encountered that? It made me a better person. Really, I felt like I learned and grew from that. I feel like a truth of the kingdom is that we are really better together. That diversity makes us stronger. Elijah Maswangani, who's uh, an African revivalist, and if you've ever read his testimony of his baptism by love, it's just the most amazing thing. Jesus arrived in, in his room one night and met with him and touched him, and he's just never been the same again. And all he can talk about is loving everyone, which seems to be the characteristic of people who've met Jesus. But he makes the statement, he says, all cu cultures are dynamic, 
And what that means is that what it meant to be Zulu a week ago, I mean, sorry, not a week ago, say five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, isn't what it means to be Zulu today. And what it meant to be white, English-speaking 15 years ago is certainly not what it means today. And it, it means that all of our cultures are dynamic and growing and interacting. And, and do you know that English is 90% foreign words? Do you understand that? that? That the language English has been enriched by so many different cultures that they can't even tell where it comes from anymore. And that our interactions with each other are going to change and mold one another and we're going to become a people in the image of Christ. Enriched and enlarged by one another. All cultures are dynamic. And that means that you can't judge some, somebody by their culture that you encountered 10 years ago. All cultures are unique. All cultures uniquely display God. There is something in every culture that, that glorifies and shows forth who God is. And those things need to be found, embraced, and loved, and incorporated into our own cultures. But then also that all cultures in some way are flawed. And that we have to look at our own cultures and acknowledge there are some ways, some things that I learned and grew up with that perhaps I'm going to have to leave behind as I walk into the kingdom and grow into the image of Christ. <laughs> this is one of the coolest selfies ever taken in the history of this country. <laughs> the man on your left is the Reverend Bayes Nordier. He was a part of the freedom struggle as we came out of apartheid. He turned his back on his own culture to create an environment where all cultures would be loved and accepted. And he was persecuted heavily for it, but a really great man of God. Next to him is the then Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And with his characteristic humor, he's just got that, that giggly look on his face. You know, you know how he is? He always looks like he's just loving life. And these two became really great friends. If you just Google their names together, you will see picture after picture after picture of them just having like a good chin wag, like their faces just so expressive, just obviously loving one another's company. And what I love about this picture says about two men who said, who grew up in an unjust, ungodly society and said, I don't care what my culture tells me. I am going to embrace something new. I'm going to step into something new no matter what that takes. I'm going to love people who are different from me. I'm going to make friends across the cultural barriers. And I'm going to display something of God's kingdom to the world around me. And they steadfastly refused to allow anything to separate their friendship. And I feel like God wants to Wants to bring that for all of us. Amen. So three things I want to do. I first want to pray for people here. You know, I saw as, as I, was, I was apologizing, and really, that's a very sincere apology. If any of you personally have anything that you want to talk to me about, you're very welcome to come and talk to me about that. And we'll, we'll deal with anything we need to deal with. But... Um, you know, I could see on some of your faces that there was some pain there. That there were difficult things that you have encountered. And I feel like God wants to heal that. I also, probably as I'm sharing, you, you realize that there have been some attitudes in your heart that 
you know, you want to get rid of and you just want to be a different and better person. So both of those categories, I'm not really going to make you stand up and make yourself known. But my guess is that probably everyone in this room in some degree needs some kind of healing or needs some kind of a change. And so I'm going to ask us to all stand. Can we do that? going to ask this. I'm going to ask that if you just between you and God can do some business with him. Is that okay? What I want you to do is I want you to just examine your life and I want you to just say, God, I, I need you to come and heal me. I need you to come and set me free. I need you to change me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so, you know, body language really does make a difference because we not only speak with our words, we speak with our bodies. So if you could just, with your body and with your words, you could just speak to God and ask Him, Lord, would you come and change me? Would you come and make a difference in my life? And if there are places in your heart where there is there's pain and anguish, I want you to just tell God about that and, and ask Him if He would heal you. Maybe there are particular instances that are just very difficult for you. And Lord, I just pray that you'd come and set these people free. I just want to speak to the lies of the enemy that say that they are less or no good or not up to standard or that there's no place for them and I command those to go in Jesus' name. Lord God, those places of hopelessness and powerlessness in every heart here, I command you to go in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just want to stand here before you and we want to repent of the places where we have thought of ourselves as better than others, where we have actively or passively participated in environments that have hurt other people. Lord God, we just turn away from that and we say no more, Lord. And we want to ask for the grace to be able to make that right, Lord. To make that right. To make that right. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Ah, Holy Spirit, come. Set them free. Set them free, Lord. Set them free, Lord. Thank you, Father. I know this is a really simple thing, but I, those of you who have pain in your hearts, can you just take a deep breath? And just breathe out the pain and say, God, I don't have to have this anymore. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and then I'm going to ask you to do something. Can we just give the Lord a hand? And my friend, I'm going to ask you to play some happy music. <laughs> Because you know what? The truth is we, God has not left us here. He's left us in victory with a sure way ahead of victory, truth, celebration in life. That he, we have a nation that is changed by who we are. Can we say amen to that? Can we smile and enjoy the fact that we're all together and there's someone different than you? Yes, I'm going to ask you to do this. Can you just turn to someone who looks different to you? 
I don't know you got how you can identify that and can you just tell them can you just tell them you belong you're a part and we're together in this we're together in this